Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from my own office here in Accra. So you're gonna hear the birds chirping. You might hear the dogs bark. We really tried getting the dogs not to bark, but it happens. I'm very excited to be hosting my guest today because she is a filmmaker, she is a director, she is a producer. Let's let's go right into the, the bio. <laughs> She's a filmmaker and lecturer at the National Film and Television Institute and a PhD candidate at the Institute of African Studies at the University of Ghana, Legon, both in Accra. She has worked as editor, director, and producer on a number of local and international productions. As a freelance editor, her works include award-winning films such as Perfect Picture by Shirley from Pong Manso, Chronicles of Odin Chrome, The Headmaster by Ernest Kofi Abekwe, Who is Afraid of Ngugi by Malian filmmaker Macha Diawara, and Freetown by U.S. filmmaker Garrett Barty. She is a co-programmer for the Film Africa Festival, London's biggest celebration of African and African diaspora cinema, presented by the Royal African Society. She was also the festival manager and director of the European Film Festival, Ghana. She is the founder and festival director for Indiva Women's Film Festival, which aims to create artistic platforms for the presentation and preservation of work by, for, and about women. And most recently, she is the director and editor of the documentary film, When Women Speak, which is an excellent film and historical perspective about the women of Ghana's independence through the Fourth Republic. Yes, yes, yes. Asay Tamaklo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello. Yes, wonderful. So let's get right into it. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? Where am I from? So I am from the Volta region of Ghana Mm -hmm. by the sea. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm from southern Volta. Okay. Keta, Futi precisely. My mom comes from Keta. My father comes from Keta and Futi. Mm-hmm. And um, and because we are patrilineal, so I, uh, I'm from my father's place. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. so, sort of. <laughs> and, you're, and you're patrilineal because the Ewe tribe yeah, is the Ewe patrilineal. Yeah, the Ewe ethnic group is yes, patrilineal, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we inherit from our father's side, mm-hmm. sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's my craft? So, as you just read, I'm a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I'm a film educator, okay, or lecturer they call it. <laughs> I curate and program film festivals as well. I also manage my own film festival that I founded in 2017 called Indiva Women's Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So really, I'm in, I'm in the cultural space. Um, okay. Yes, everything film, the screen, conversations about cinema from the African continent and the African diaspora and worldwide, really, because I teach also world cinema, etc. I'm also into African literature, but my strength, my forte is in film. Film, film, <laughs> film is who you are. But it's, I mean, I mean culture is it, so... Yes, yes, yeah. yes, it is. Okay, so tell us more in doing some research about you and your work. We know that film is a very patriarchal industry, Quite, quite often, right? And that is part of the impetus for having, you know, the Indiva Festival and things of that nature. So as a young woman, how did you find yourself in the on the path to become 
a filmmaker or a, a creative because you're ultimately a creative. A cre- yeah, yeah, I am a creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think growing up, I've always liked the creative space. You know, I've always been intrigued by the screen and what happens there. And I've always wondered how the images came to life. I, I didn't have a clue what it was at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember that there are two things I loved, reading and also watching. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I was about to start uni and my dad asked me if I wanted to, do I have any interest in Nafti? I didn't know so much really? about Really? Yeah. Where did your father ask? So he saw it in you of, somehow. So when I was 12, yeah. I had won the Commonwealth Essay Competition. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats. So, yeah, yeah, so, you know, it comes in age brackets. Sure. And for the, for, so for globally, I was, uh-huh. I won the first prize. Wow. And I think the second person in there was from Pakistan or somewhere. Wow, like, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so the award ceremony was here in Ghana at the time attended by the Secretary for Education, Harry Sawyer, mm-hmm. I think under the PNDC government. Okay. And then the British High Commission at the time, I remember the event was at the teacher's hall. And at the time, I, I wasn't schooling in Accra, I was schooling because my parents lived in the Volta region and were working there. That's where I was when I took part in the competition. So when I came to Accra, I met schools like Northridge, Lyceum, and etc. I was like, yeah, I beat them to it. <laughs> you know? But yeah, so that's, I think that from then, plus, I think he paid a lot more attention to the things I liked. So uh-huh. we didn't even, he didn't even ask me if I wanted to apply to Legon and the others. He just asked that between, it was between Legon, Cape Coast and Nafti, which one would you, when I said, oh, I'll pick the film school. Oh, okay. 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 So, so I picked it. And then that's where my journey began. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, in getting into film over time, for starters, when I, I got to film school, the number of girls or ladies was mm-hmm. really small. For mm-hmm. starters, even the film school itself, you know, film education is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And at the time also, the school was very concerned about quality, not quantity. Of the graduates. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so... I mean, even in the diploma era, before we came in the degree, I used to be every two years before they took in people. Oh, okay. And then when we came, it was yearly, but I remember whoever, 18 or 19, well, they always have some odd number. Sure. Oh, <laughs> wow. And okay. even for, I was going to specialize in editing when I started, and even, there was only three of us. Total for the whole year group was only three mm-hmm. editors, mm-hmm. two cinematographers. That you know, they have a way of pairing the numbers. And but I, I remember the interview lasted for four days, four different days. Number of people showed up, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end, we're just 18 or 19 in the class. Oh, okay, yeah, oh, so it was quite competitive, very competitive. Okay. My colleagues were Shelley Frimpoma and so Julieta Santi, okay, sure, yeah, so. But we were, the, the, we were even with with that. It was a strong class. Where the ladies were, the number was really small, mm-hmm. and it was something that was you could see. Mm-hmm. Whilst we studied further, I realized that it's not just even a problem here. It's a it's a global problem, mm-hmm. and even the way representation is, you know, in front or behind, you know, even when we're studying the film history, you you're hardly hearing about women. Mm-hmm. And you find we found out much later that women did a lot more that they were credited for, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's strange, but till date, unless you go into feminist film studies, you know, 
where you might have a lot more information in the general film history books there's still some mute on that part right. yeah you know i always give this example of a book called film form and culture i think one of his new editions not so new but quite you know not the first edition either where they talk about women in film they mention a number of women the very first woman alice gibler she who did a lot more than she's credited for, who started making films before the famous American D.W. Griffith. Mm, uh-huh. You know, and then Ida Lupino, Dorothy Asna, mm, and all those people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But when it came to even black women, Julie Dash is the only person that's mentioned. And all these women I'm talking about get a half page mm-hmm, of an A4 mm-hmm, sheet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is really terrible. No doubt, right. You don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and if it's deck like that, then you know that there won't be any representation from Asia. From Africa right and other parts so yeah. yeah all of this as the years went by culminated into me deciding taking intentional decisions about working in film spaces to enhance women's stories mm-hmm. to promote to make more room for exhibitions to make information more available so even when I became a, a lecturer I started putting out courses for women in film because when I went to film school nobody taught me about women in film Mm -hmm. I found out myself and also probably that I worked a lot with women also in the industry Mm -hmm. and most of the big doors that were opened for me also were by women Mm -hmm. so and which I I greatly acknowledge and I I I, I think that that's also part of how to develop the sisterhood yes being there and showing up for others and holding other people's hands and opening doors or windows or frames, whichever way, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because there's there's so much to be done and there's so much to tell and there's so much work all of us need to do. We are not dismissing what men have done, but, you know, the intentionality of trying to write out women in history has become an open secret. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and we have we have work to do. Yeah. But interestingly, too, you know, when you come to African cinema, mm-hmm. or I'm careful saying Afri- African cinemas, I try to call it African cinemas, because African cinema is still more a Western concept, sort of. Mm. Yeah. Okay, be- so why do, you, why do you say that? Be- just because of the framework <clears throat> of thinking of cinema you in know, an academic-ish way? Is that what you mean? Sort of, but mm. also that... In the beginning, I also, also I, I didn't see it like that. I was also into African cinema. But slowly, when you speak to filmmakers on the continent and the African diaspora, it begins to feel like Africa is a country. So I'm not referring mm-hmm. to the... Mm-hmm. You know there's a blog called Africa, Africa is a, a country, country, but it's right. a satire. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But you know that kind of Africa is a country yeah. sort of yeah. thing and... Because I think they're African cinemas, you know. I'm, I'm sure they say European cinema too, but the way in which there's some ghettoization yes. of African... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So some filmmakers don't mind. Others have kicked against it mm-hmm. a lot. I teach it so, I, you know, because African Af- cinema from North Africa Very is different. not exa- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, there are some universal stories. It's right. true. Yes. But certain approaches, maybe, you know cinema from the West African region, even that varies between French speaking and English speaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. North Africa has theirs, um, which other we don't the Portuguese speaking region, yeah. African Portuguese, you know, Lucifer, yeah, the Lucifer, yeah. yeah. And also all stem from colonialism right. and our encounters and yeah. how film came to cinema came to all of us. I do understand that there was an intentionality about 
cinema from the continent that it's supposed to reconscientize, re-educate, mm -hmm. realign, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. supposed to take us through a learning and unlearning process for us to refine ourselves because mm -hmm. of the issues of misrepresentation mm -hmm. and also that by the time we were done with slavery and colonialism, our self had been damaged a bit, yeah. you know, etc. So sure. surely I you know we understand that there's an ideological part to it also, which I still support because we still have work to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, because there's an agenda from every I tell my students every time that no industry if we take the African filmmakers aside, all other industries have agendas. So there's nothing wrong with we also having an agenda. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If you if you take your time and you critically read, and I mean reading the film as text, Hollywood, there oh, are many, yeah, there many, are many agendas. agendas. <laughs> you <laughs> many. know, many, you know. Yeah. So why shouldn't we? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah, but yeah. the other the only problem we have is access. Mm -hmm. So when you say, why shouldn't we, and, and thinking about the different African cinemas, I acutely understand that how film was funded has a tremendous impact because the French funded it in a certain way. I don't think the, the English funded it as much at all, even as much as, you know, other parts, but the French hugely supported it. And I, I still, maybe you can kind of share why they, why they so are invested in the arts per se, maybe it's their romantic, <laughs> but the French are big. And then I think that why Southern Africa, South Africa in particular, has a thriving industry is because their, I want to say their colonization through apartheid lasted so, so much longer. So you had more people who had small windows of more kind of contemporary-ish exposure, maybe into the 80s, 90s. The South African case is really very tricky. Mm -hmm. Because for a long time, when we spoke about African cinema mm -hmm. or cinemas, mm -hmm. they weren't really included. People weren't too sure where to mm -hmm. place them because of apartheid. Sure, yeah. Yeah, until much, much later. Right. You know. Yeah. And when it comes to Portuguese-speaking Africa, for them, they used film to actually fight for independence yes. as well. It was yes. part of the fight. Mm -hmm. For the French-African, the policy of assimilation was a big deal. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. where you... You were in, in Ivory, where you lived in Abidjan, but you lived the life of somebody who lived in France. Yes. <laughs> you yes. Know? yes. Yeah, and the French were really keen on this policy of assimilation. It was. Mm. And really, let's be very honest, it's, things are the same till they. Yes. You know, it's so. Very true. <laughs> very true. And yes, they were, were vested because they also made. You see, the British didn't in the beginning see cinema as a viable financial venture. For right. them, it was about the trade and exporting. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But the French on the other side also thought that film could be a viable venture. Mm, okay. You know? mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the the British really in the beginning were also vested more in documentaries, newsreel. I mean, if right. you look yeah. at yeah, yeah, yeah. BBC, the histories, that's yeah. Whole, yeah. even the histories of how the how cinema was used in both places. So you, when you had people making certain kinds of films in the French-speaking countries, you had the British film unit here making films like uh, Mr. Mensah Built a House, you know, um, films about hygiene, the clean, 
films about how yes. people should bathe their children, mm-hmm. films mm-hmm. about indoctrinating. When, and then mm-hmm. when they wanted to sell tobacco and mal, you know those things, yes. Marlboro, all those that, those were you know things they would show before they show the supposed educational right. films. <laughs> and, and then you know, like Mr. Mensa built a house, you know others about how to speak good English. I mean, it was much, much later that there was an attempt to make the boy Kumaseno. Yes. You know, even that had, even though it had an all-African cast, it, it had people from the British Film Unit who, that became eventually GFIC. Sure. And today has become something else. Right. Or, you know, work on it, even though it was a Ghanaian story, mm-hmm. you know. But until then, the British were more vested in the documentary genre more. And... And of course, we know Britain. Yes, at the time, you wanted them to go, they're going. They're not going to give you money to make any films. Right. Thankfully, at the time, our first president was very aware of the power of the image. Mm-hmm. And so had invested money into building, I mean, expanding the, the film units that was there. It was said that at the time, it was state of the art and that it had the possibility of churning out about 12. Hollywood totally. standard films yeah. a year. And that was rare in the region because the next thing you found that was close to what we had was in North Africa. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. you know, the 66 school happened and, yeah, and then the rest they say is history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in that, you know, and then between that and after that, you had other films like the, the adaptation of Shakespeare's Hamlet. It's called Hamile. It was shot in the North. Hmm. Yes. Okay. Tongo Hamili, they call it. There's, there's, um, is it, what do you call it? Is it a story Nancy told or something? It's very vague. It's, I will come back. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of others. There were a few interna- um, co-productions as well. Then there was a famous I Told You So made in 1969 mm-hmm. to 70. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there was also the coming of television. So right. there was all of yeah. those things to yeah. do with. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but anyway, French filmmaking has always enjoyed a certain funding. But, you know, not all filmmakers from that side were also in agreement because some said that when it came to how the story should be told, he who feeds you owns you, right? Mm -hmm. So people had to make certain adjustments. Also that the revenues, the way in which they were split, Mm -hmm. etc., etc., then there'll be access. Well, I think one of the many reasons why till date on the continent, African audiences are still strangers to films that are made on the continent mm-hmm. because our distribution links are yes. really weak. Yes. So Five Fingers for Marseille is released in South Africa and if probably if you have Netflix, I think they're on Netflix now, mm-hmm. or some other video on demand streaming something, you are not going to be watching it mm-hmm. and you will never see it. Right, yeah. And if a Blue, Blue Kaftan is made from Morocco, you will never get to see it. It's true. So in the conversation, I'm actually working on the paper, in the, the conversation about repatriation and reparation, African cinema has come up. Because mm. our prop- yeah, because yeah. our stuff is not here. Right, it's true. <laughs> it's um, somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I haven't even thought about that, but very yeah. true. Yeah. 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 So huh. working on a paper like that. Yeah. And yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's been difficult. And, 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 and it's actually not so strange because even if trade mm-hmm. ordinary trade in goods mm-hmm. it's has been difficult and that today we form if it's not after is this is that is yeah. that trying Organizations to be to able mobilize. to just trade amongst yeah. ourselves we can imagine yeah. film that we have not considered as trade sure 
So you see, there's so much work to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because it's true. It's most industry does have some kind of organizing unit, and there, there are fewer and far between. In I know in Ghana, but you know, there's Misiga, but is there filmmakers? There's a you know a small animators group. I'm kind of familiar with them. But yeah, that's it's um. The Ghana Academy of Film and Te- Ghana Academy of Film and Te- Television Arts, of which I'm a member. Okay. But the problem with film also has been political interferences so mm. politicians over the years have also toyed with that mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. so the splinter of groups i guess um, even to now right oh, because you have i don't even know why i'm speaking the past tense <laughs> really yes. right yeah 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 so now actually even now it's even major mm-hmm. you know so there are all those battles to deal with but with south africa like you said apartheid lasted way into the 90s it didn't immediately end even when yeah. Mandela was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, but South Africa has become the, the, the other Europe in Africa, exactly. sort of. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So instead of going to North Africa, which people will have certain mindsets about, because Egypt, Tunisia, Algeria, they have very strong industries, especially theirs were supported by their states much earlier, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Also because, you know, there's a certain generation that, so you, you remember Gamal, mm-hmm. Nasa, mm-hmm. they were they mm-hmm. all been, had certain sure, beliefs. Sure, yeah. sure. So yeah. some people who stayed in power a bit longer were able to do certain things. So yep. the North Africa region has a very robust industry. South Africa, but but of course people will still go to South Africa than go to Egypt or Tunisia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for many obvious reasons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whether right, true or not, you know. Yeah. And so South Africa also became the place where there was some sort of, you know, don't forget there are white South Africans who yes. are also in the arts, who yes. are creatives. Yes. And so they also tried to create a certain environment. Right. And most of them also traveled and came back and knew the best practices and tried to, you know, put mm-hmm. all of that out. Mm-hmm. So things that, the way in which other industries outside the continent, especially Hollywood, Europe, etc., um, and when I say Hollywood, I, I stay with American commercial cin- uh, cinema space more than even the independent. So they, they go, they learn, they try to create this, could be made from this space, you know, tourism, culture, arts. Mm-hmm. And so they made it quite friendly, also, especially for non South Africans. So they have these treaties. People come, they shoot, they make really good money. And then also some of their countrymen also benefit. So even by just the structures, there are differences. Mm-hmm. FEPASI, which is an organization under FESPACO, supposed to be a body that sort of regularized, but Africa Must Unite hasn't totally happened here. Sure, so. sure. So you went, you went to NAFTI and then you found yourself a graduate. And then how did you now become a part of the industry? So by the time I was finishing NAFTA, I was already working. Of course, yeah. In the industry, yeah. which is common. And that's quite common, yeah. Quite common for NAFTA graduates. Yeah, mm-hmm. very common because by the time you're in your second year, you start engaging with the industry. You get small jobs. People invite you to their sets sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get paid. Sometimes it's pro bono. Mm-hmm. But you're eager to learn. You want to see what's happening out there. So... Sometimes it's about word of mouth and what what people see you do. But by the time I was finishing, I was already working. Okay. And then also, I got employed at NAFTI also because 
so I was a good student, but also that Mlati um, had just started operating the dabbing center where there was a facility to help dab films into other languages. Okay, okay. And at the time, um, because I could speak some French as well, and I did my national service and I worked at the center and we did a lot of work on some films. Mm -hmm. So that's how, how my entry into before sure. I was brought into to faculty to teach and etc. etc. Sure. So I've always been between teaching and practice. I've never mm. left any. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. when I was in school, I also worked with Shelley Frimpoma. So first with her and Juliet on a series, a reality show called Heart to Heart. Then eventually uh, we just with Shelley alone when she started Sparrow Productions mm -hmm. and did majority of the journey with her. So okay. We did the Miss Garners, we did Personality ah, Kitchen, okay. we did okay. Different Shades of Blue, we yeah. did, yeah. So, yeah, so a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, yeah, so whilst I worked with her, I worked with Nafti as well. Okay, okay, so, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was always like that. Understood, understood, understood. Okay, so I want to take a little bit of a, a veer because you, you decided to stay in academia, but you have this relationship with the Royal African Society in the UK, and so before getting into that with, for that film festival, I want to ask you, why the where? So how did you come to be living, working, and playing where you currently are here in Accra? And where in Accra? Where is your Accra? <laughs> <laughs> and have you had journeys that have taken you of, out to come back? Out of Accra? Yes, or out of Ghana. My journeys outside, outside Ghana have always been short. Okay. So I would say that I am a Ghana chick. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> Yes, I have been in different parts of Accra. Currently, I live at Oyarifa. Oyarifa, okay. Yeah, that's where our house is. Um, but I've lived at Tantra Hills, behind the trade fair, all of that. Okay. I said I belong to the Ghana Academy of Film and Television Arts. Mm -hmm. And so for some time, they had this relationship, which they still do, with the Alliance Frances, where we did this two to three years curating of Largely Ghanaian films, but sometimes films from the films from the continent, which was a monthly screening, mm -hmm. which I curated and programmed, mm -hmm. you know. And then also, once upon a time, I had been jury chair for the Black Star International Film Festival here in Accra. Okay. I think it's first edition mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before my festival. So I I should have started the Indiva Women's Film Festival much earlier, mm -hmm. but. I had my own personal crisis and loss. My, my little sister had died. Yeah. And so it took me a while to... Yeah. Yeah, so I took Recover a while. Yeah. Oh, I'm still recovering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so uh, I put that on hold and then I went to work on Blackstar and I realized, oh, I could really hack this. So later I came back to my festival. And mm -hmm. also, of course, there are two different festivals anyway. And then, of course, I've been around conferences presented at other places, uh, mixed a lot with um, other filmmakers and film people, mm -hmm. whether they were festival directors or curators or programmers or people who run labs and things. So the circle is not too big. Got it. Because it's just not too big. And also because the work is not easy. Right? Actually, the work is yeah. not easy. Yeah. Money is always a problem. Exactly. And mm -hmm. so people fall on favor sometimes, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, if, if it was really about the money, we wouldn't be here. 
because for the work you do, nobody's yeah. able to pay you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So slowly, recommendations happened, and so that's how I got into Film Africa. Okay. And then also I, I did some work also in curation for twice for the French embassy here. Okay. They tried to do a mini festival in Ghana and okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then also yes, so I was managing the European Film Festival as well. But of course I was on Film, film Africa even before starting EUFF. Okay. And also because I ran my own festival sure. for a couple of so years. You just so kind of know, you, you, you're known as a film festival. Uh, <laughs> also because I'm still a practitioner. Sure, right. So you have those links as yeah, well. Yeah, those links as yeah. well. And I seem to have um, something to say when it comes to uh-huh. to film. And curating. The, curating yeah. quality of films, the craft itself, etc. Yeah. Yeah. And understanding the industry and especially on the continent okay you know so yeah so slowly that's how i came to to curating and programming and that's also a very tough one Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes a very tough one because we work so there's when we start when i got on there was me or someone from south africa i mean lived in who was living in south africa because she's really not south african but she's Mm -hmm. of african ethiopian and something and then there's um, someone from Nairobi, you okay, know. Okay, so it's very diaspora. Extremely. Yeah. Yeah. And then with the people from the Film Africa and the Royal African uh, Society. And so films are coming from everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you're watching and deciding. Right, a lot of time. And there's a lot of politics, <laughs> yes. you know. Sometimes yeah. you have to kill some darlings. You might really like a film, but when you look at the geopolitics, you're like, yeah. hey, maybe if there are 10 films coming from Nigeria and there's none coming from other places, you want to say, okay, then let's see if we can take five and then distribute the other best five. Sure. Yeah. can be... Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so... But for me, it's fulfilling and exhilarating because there's a constant chance at engaging with the cinema from the continent Mm -hmm. and the continent's diaspora Mm -hmm. and that uh, people get the chance to watch things they probably would never have Mm -hmm. watched in their lifetime on normal television or cable Mm -hmm. but also that cinemas or films that come from the continent and the continent's diaspora have a way of generating very serious conversations, comfortable mm-hmm. and uncomfortable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from the themes you know that are addressed and how sometimes there's always some. So you are entertained, but there's also some self-reflection that happens, and also there are things that you you know about that you know. You know, like they say that sometimes films can be a reflection of a, a people. Yes, you know, debatable, but there's some truth in that, mm-hmm. and especially when we are working with the aesthetics of realism, you know. But also that when it comes to Africa and her diaspora, the tensions that are there, the conversations we should be having that we probably haven't had, you know, the engagements. And there's a way in which film brings all of this to bear, you know, and how, like, I'll quote what the Zimbabwean novelist, she's called Yvonne Vera, she... There's a book title, that's an anthology, not a book, an anthology of short proses from, or short stories from African women writers. And in the foreword, she writes that African women write such that 
they kill non-performing gods and resurrect new ones, something mm, like that. Mm-hmm. And I think the African cinema does that too. You know, cinema from the continent and its diaspora. Yeah. Then sometimes even for you who's watching as a programmer and all that, there are ways in which films hit you and yeah. and speak to you and shake you and make you think about many things. You know, and and the different ways in which stories are told. Mm-hmm. And which makes you see that we can't continue to treat Africa as a homogeneous space. Mm-hmm. It's a, that Africa is a very complex space and not in negative terms. Mm-hmm. But there's that is layered, you know. There's some universal ways in which we see things and do things, you know. Mm-hmm. But also that we come to the world in different ways. And so it, it can't do Africa as a country kind of thing. Right. You know, even just by the cinema, you know. Yeah. Because many times there have been stories told about migration, belonging, home. But even if you saw something around that theme last year and you saw another film this year, it's it not the same, right? Yeah. But yet, you, the, the theme may look the same, but the, the approach, the sure. style, sure. the way the story is told, the stories within the story. So I keep saying that, like, you take a story, you, you, you take the theme of migration. The way some people have presented the migration story, and if you see Af- African filmmakers at their best presenting some of these stories, you you'll be like, oh my God, I never thought this was also part of the migration mm-hmm. story because mm-hmm. the migration story is so layered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes mm-hmm. even the people who are left here, mm-hmm. they're part of the migration story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about the person who is journeying. Right. And even in the journey, you know, when Christiana Chu died, my husband said, I say, this is a migration story. I said, mm. what? I said, yeah, I say, why, is, why would he have been in that place for the first, I mean, really, yes, it's what true. was it? Really, true. what? Why was he there? Work, looking for this opportunity, opportunity to raise you know, a family and, you know, and not struggle, and not struggle, yeah. and and just get better and and live a certain dream. And so he had to, because if the Ghana Ghana League was as good as the Premier League, why should he be in in in? Turkey. Turkey. Maybe mm-hmm. he would still have gone to Turkey, but the circumstances may have been different. You, you know, mm-hmm. but I was, and I was like, yeah, you know, Achu's story is another migration story. Mm-hmm. It is. You know? Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's the power of, I mean, film itself as, a, as, a, as an art form is very powerful. Yeah. Because really calls on our emotions a lot and what mm-hmm. speaks to your emotions works faster and exactly. harder. Mm-hmm. But also when you come to how we tell stories also on the continent, you know, the different ways in which mm-hmm. we all tell our stories and that the way we come to cinema, some come as protest, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. come as education, education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. some come as education entertainment, some come as getting you to be self-reflective. They, people come to film differently and all of this at the end produces an experience you can't quantify. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. It, and as much as we try with the the marketplace. <laughs> yes. Yes, but it's true. Yeah. Like, there's just so much yeah. more. There's yeah, ex- the experience you get, you know, so 
I, I think that's why I think I like being the space. in that space. And also mm-hmm. because I teach film, mm-hmm. it affords me the chance to also teach better mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. certain conversations with my students that ordinarily they may not have the chance yeah. to have yeah. and get them to see the world differently. Sure. Sure. You know, yeah. totally different. And yeah. also appreciate where they're coming from, but also know how far they can go, mm-hmm. etc. So I think all of this co- makes me um, a 360 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. person. person. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of 360, <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about Glocal Speak. So I think this is a, a great question for you as a filmmaker and someone who's on the pulse of young people and hearing just different things. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you've come to value it as a local speak. We move. Okay. <laughs> yes. Whatever it is, we move. Uh-huh. And and you find it also more in the film space as well sure. because it's, it's a tough space. Yeah. Your heart will get broken many times. You'll be yeah. wounded. You'll be disappointed. Yeah. You will lose. I think being in the space of film teaches you how to lose. Mm. I hope I hope people are actually... T- taking notes but you will have to learn to lose you don't you, it's not a win-win every day for you mm. you lose a lot mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you can also win a lot but I hope people but it's a place that makes you know so we keep saying we move and in my you know space because even when you hit down when you're falling like eight times that ninth getting up is we move yeah so yeah it's a, yeah. It's a saying that <laughs> yeah and i think i think that is kind of the nature of art that you you it's not doesn't always go no, the way it's planned never. and it's a, it's a it's a practice and every day of practice isn't a successful day of practice so but you keep coming back so yeah yeah i like that sentiment okay so let's talk about your latest project so we've gotten you through (laughs) into practice and working with students and when women speak is kind of your ethic right it's it's a lot of who you are and a lot of how you've come to be so tell us about the genesis of that project and just your experience working with the collaborators and speaking with all of those historical figures when women speak is a child of one professor, I could say mm-hmm. and Professor Kate Skinner. At the time, it was Dr. Skinner. Mm-hmm. So there's this joke that Professor Dumako always gives, and she says, "So, so after yes and so then what? <laughs> then Beijing, yeah, then what? You right, know? Yeah. So the the project I think started, I don't think with the film aim, but eventually, film was pitched. Okay, so so it started as a research project. It started as a research project. Mm-hmm. I think prelim in the very early conversation, but quickly there was the thinking of adding film. I mean, okay. these two people are very forward-looking. Sure, and also and have come even though they're academics, they have come to understand that knowledge production and sharing is not only in the text or the academy, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And also that if you want knowledge to go far and have a long lifespan, there are other mediums. Yes. And -hmm. film is one of Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. mediums. And so immediately also film came to mind. So I am a student of Prof. Adomako and Pofo, but also she's like an, another mother. Okay. And of course, she's known that I've been with film for a long time. She's, she's attended some of my festivals, mm-hmm. etc. 
also that I'm also a student of gender studies and women's studies. And I've always known that women's stories worldwide have been underrepresented. Mm -hmm. Number two, that there's an intentional writing out of history of women worldwide. You look at all the liberation movements from different countries, you know, and there's no way that these people will say women were not part of the... Yeah. They've always been part of the revolution, but, yes. you know, there's right. always a, yeah. a mute, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then also that it was something that was very daring. I had not really ventured. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this, I realized, was going to be a lot of work. Yeah, it's a big, yeah, <laughs> it's a a big, big endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Big endeavor, you know, we started from an outrageous number of 50 women. <laughs> You, you chose 50 because they all played a, a significant role in different, yeah, at different, different times. You know, at different times. So, you know, the project itself is looking at one, challenging the, the conception that women's act, African women's activism is a Western concept, so it's mm-hmm, a Western, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, acquired mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And so the project was to show that no, we've been, we've doing, been doing this. We've been doing this for so bloody damn long, mm-hmm. if I'm allowed to say that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And um, also, that's one. Another part is also to fill a certain gap, you know. Historically, that's a gap mm-hmm. when it comes to women's history sure. mm-hmm. in Ghana, you know. Yeah. Especially when you look at pre-independence, independence, work in public space, mm-hmm. the different strands of activism that existed, people didn't right really yeah. know, yeah. You know yeah. about yeah. all yeah. of yeah. that. Yeah. So that's an that's because Dr. Professor Skinner is a historian and Professor Dumak is a sociologist. So even I, who's the youngest in that group, know <laughs> like in out of the three, out of you know, know that there's a gap. Yeah. Now. We obviously can fill the gap, right? But we can poke sure at something sure. or start something for yeah. others to, you know, to take on, to take on. Yeah. And so there was a conversation about finding women who have been part of the different movements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. women's exactly. movements. Mm-hmm. We call them or women's organizing. Some women in public space. Some women in play the roles in. Private sector, private business. Private sector, mm-hmm. public sector, pre-independence, independence. So even though we have 16 women speaking in the film, if you critically look at the film, there were a lot more women yeah. in the film. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. others got mentioned, etc., right. etc. Et yeah. So all of this was um, the reason why the project was... Sorry, the project took place. Mm-hmm. And we attempted to want to let people hear the life and work of these women through anecdotes, through narrations, through, you know. We did not have, and that's that's what we chose the style we did. We wanted the women themselves to speak their truth, Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want them to say they they should speak it themselves. And it actually works well with um, something that a, a professor in the University of, I think, Ireland, she's Cameroonian but also has made some really good films on women as well. And she, she said this thing once that really resonated with me. She said, when it comes to women's stories, especially from our continent, if it is not seen or heard... It's forgotten. It's, for, it's, it's, it's almost de It didn't happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so even though we shouldn't be 
it should be this thing should be normalized right. you know mm-hmm. but because it isn't people have to see in here so that you delegitimize even though mm-hmm. it should not be like that but uh, mm-hmm. for now we're, we're crawling so we'll, we'll take it as it is yeah but and i realized that it is true because even whether for young people or young women or whichever way so if they can see these people hear them then they know it's doable mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. also that it has been done right right so yeah. probably they don't have to reinvent the wheel sure. they can stand on shoulders and move yeah. but the truth is that people do not know the stories mm-hmm, exactly. it's not in the history books it's nowhere and to know the amount of work that had been done and to also get some sort of self-worth self-worth mm-hmm. sorry that these people didn't have to wait from some west these women didn't to have come. to wait for some western mm-hmm. intervention to know that they need to get to the way mm-hmm. in grills and work sure. you know so you take feeder women graduate from law school and they start an association you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and they've heard of the bigger association but they start the ghana chapter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and slowly mm-hmm. work throwing things up mm-hmm. some people are into mining some people are into exports are uh, in non-traditional sector you know right. people went to many things yeah and then there was a legal side and also the the understanding of organizing to achieve right. success right you know because yeah. these things are not be done by just single people and exactly. you can't work in silos exactly. and because it's women's issues which like today we are still battling the period the menstrual whatever task mm-hmm. tax we should not be paying this amount of tax we are paying on sanitary pads we have said it and said it today when i was coming i was thinking we really probably really need to re-strategize mm-hmm. and do something else mm-hmm. you know there's mm-hmm. a way we have to threaten the people in power Sure. We have, I think, sure. we've gone beyond being diplomatic and polite and presenting statistics. I mean, maybe we, we should say that we are going to remove our clothes like the Liberian women yes. threatened before yes. the whole thing was put together. Sure. You know, calling of Justella, having a meeting, calling for a ceasefire, etc. Probably have to get there because really, it's really unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's I cannot. Very expensive. Yeah, yes. and I, I cannot pay for biological something that uh, I yeah. shouldn't be taxed for. Right, exactly. That's going to do it for part one of my conversation with Aseye Tamaklo. Please be sure to catch us next week when we talk more about When Women Speak, as well as Aseye's interests, her reads, her watches, and her listens. As always, you can catch us with new episodes Tuesdays at GlocalCitizensPod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please like, share, subscribe, tell a friend. It helps others find great content on the internet and especially if you write us a review, particularly on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That would be great. So until next time, bye for now.